0: For many of you who have followed the Tierra Talk Show podcast since 2013 or have seen my tweets on Twitter, you know that there's a particular animated Disney film that I love to talk about and learn more about. So with the 20th anniversary right around the corner... It's time to get back to Atlantis. So this week we will be talking to the guardians of Atlantis itself, directors Kirk Wise and Gary Drowsdale and screenwriter Tab Murphy. Welcome to the show, all three of you guys.
1: Thank <laughs> you. It's, it's...
2: Guardians? Yes. <laughs> no, wow. we did not do Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: <laughs> I we were like, you know, 100 feet high and made out of chiseled rock. <laughs> the giant force field. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs>
0: well, you guys were the protectors, I guess, of Atlantis because you originally created this idea in a Mexican restaurant, and Gary gave the tibet. It was called Chevys. So, That's right. why don't we talk a little bit yeah. about that meaning? If you guys can discuss a little bit more about the, you know, how it originated from that conversation you know, what was the beginning topic? Was it, what should we do? Or was it these ideas that you had been throwing around and said, okay, we have to come together and let's hash this out?
1: Well, I think at least based on my recollection, this is Kirk, by the way, um, uh, I think we just got together to just brainstorm, to just spitball um, um ideas that we might have that we thought would be fun for a, a, a follow-up to Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, it was such a good experience on Hunchback of Notre Dame that we really wanted to keep our crew together, our all of our artistic supervisors in in all the departments. Um, you know, we really loved, they were really great. We, 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 we were really a well-oiled machine on Hunchback. And so we thought we we really need to to. Uh, get a project going right away so that so that this team doesn't get you know dispersed uh, to the four winds uh, and and end up on a bunch of different projects and we never get to work with them again, you know for another five years. So that I think that was one of the reasons for the meeting is that is that we we wanted to get another project going right away.
3: this is this is Gary. Um, Don had Don Hahn had also mentioned, um, I mean, this was kind of his his um, um, effort to get us together. At, at this, he's the one that said we've we, just done two movies that, that were that were kind of okay. Um, if we want to, if we want to do something of our choice, we have to think of it ourselves rather than be assigned a project by the studio. So it, it was um, it, it, it was it was Don like kind of kind of lighting a fire under us to so like you know, yeah let's let's think of what. Let's think what we can do. What do we? What do we like to do? And all the stories about the margaritas and um, chips and salsa are absolutely true. <laughs> yes, I,
1: I believe I had the. I, be, I believe I had enchiladas.
2: <laughs> Chicken. Yeah. Uh, this is Tab. I don't remember what I had, but I remember having a great time at that uh, at that meeting because I think that e- even by that time that particular meeting, I think we had all settled on the idea of a boy's own adventure. I mean, in, in my recollection now that I could be fuzzy a little bit about that. But uh, it's interesting to hear Gary talk about Don, you know, coming and saying, guys, you know, this is on us this time out of the gate, we're not gonna, you know, like, we got to come up with something. Uh, but I think That's not something you're used to hearing in the halls of Disney back in those days at that particular time, because it had all been adaptations of fairy tales and this and that. So I think personally that's a testament to uh, Kirk and Gary and the cachet they had at the studio at that time. These are two guys, uh, along with Don, who had uh, uh, alerted Hollywood in a big way, that animation was more than just cartoons with Beauty and the Beast, like getting a Best Picture nomination. And then going on and doing, uh, which I was lucky enough to be a part of, Hunchback. And, and by the time those two movies, it, and, and, you know, they, and as Kirk mentioned, looking for the next project, I think, you know, they had, you know... We were kind of playing with house money a little bit, you know, uh, with the idea of like we were invited to come up with something and they were open to that. And I think that was just such an incredible kind of opportunity for this movie, for Kirk and Gary and Don and even myself to be a part of. So that's my recollection.
0: It seems because both of you, um, Kirk and Gary, you're coming from a a wonderful stream of films with, you know, Beauty and the Beast, and then followed by The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I always like to pinpoint, you know, Cranium Command as something you guys did way before Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) And I love that in Epcot. So, if you, if for listeners who don't know what Cranium Command is, please go on YouTube and take a look at the uh, beginning film and the ent- entire attraction because it's something special. I love it. I miss it. Um, yes. But with this particular project, you're going on with no musical numbers, a character heavy cast, an action story. So, it checks off none of the Disney cliches that we immediately, you know, usually think of, um, except probably that the mother dies, but in this retrospect, it's in front of the child. We actually watch it happen. So. <laughs> <To be rare. laughs> she
1: didn't die. She didn't die, per se. Totally she, dropping she, out. She, she, uh,
0: ascended. And,
1: uh, was, yes, ascended and, and was uh, transformed.
0: You know, there's so many different cliches that are not checked off, so I, I don't know, in retrospect, what, what did the disney studio think of it when you pitched the idea what was this pitch meeting like after you kind of you know threw together kind of like a breakdown of how you wanted to take this particular story
2: the
3: initial pitch meeting i, I think went as smoothly as we could kind of hoped for we had we had the um um i mean between the between the four of us we had kind of crafted this um um this line you know that it was that it was uh, based upon the um, you know the, the Disney live action classics of, of the sixties, you know the, the Walt was putting together like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and Treasure Stanley Robinson and really non fairy non musical exciting uh, you know adventure stories and that I think struck a nerve with with uh, with the high command and, and they they bought it.
1: I think another thing they responded well to and and we came up with this uh, very early on in in its development is that we we uh we pitched it with a disneyland uh metaphor and we said uh you know for the past 10 years oh, yeah. animation has been making movies that take place in Fantasyland. you you walk down main street you go straight through the castle and you're in fantasy land what if we turned left at the end of main street and went into Adventureland and made a movie there and and that they they really leaned in and said okay you know tell us more that uh, uh I think that that was a, a really simple and gettable idea for the studio and and I think I think that really uh, kind of kind of opened their 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 minds and their ears to the to the possibility of making a movie like this.
2: My perspective, it's tab again, uh, is more of a sort of practical boots on the ground. What happened because after that. Uh, particular lunch meeting um i went away and i brought the guys like six sort of story ideas capsules of what it could be and we didn't even know i mean i found this document by the way uh not too long ago the first iterations of atlantis oh my and, gosh yeah no it's really cool and i you know <laughs> at the end of the, these capsules i'm like i i, I say you know you know, I'm looking at this, and uh, here are a few possibilities that our heroes may searching may be searching for under the earth the Holy Grail, Thor's Hammer, Pandora's Box, Inca, and Lost Gold, Blackbeard's <laughs> Treasure, Sunken Continent of Lumeria. I mean, we were all over the map early on. And so, and we were. I them that. Uh, what was cool is that I kind of just went ballistic and creat- creatively crazy and brought. Kirk and Gary and Don, these sort of six capsulized ideas of what the story could be, and they were like, it was great, because they sort of cherry-picked a lot of ideas from the very different capsules, and thought, whoa, that sounds cool, and so they kind of then turned it back to me and said, okay, we like these things from all of this stuff, Uh, bring us a version of one that kind of contains all these ideas, and so that was really the beginning the genesis of what led to ultimately us you know uh turning in i think it was like a 25 page treatment it was a long treatment yes. i remember my most vivid memory is is we had turned that treatment in and we they had called a meeting and we were sitting in this room uh conference room and, and it was dawn And Kirk and Gary and myself, and we were just kind of sitting there, and it's the old cliche of uh, fingers drumming on the desktop because we were all like, "What are they going to think?" What a, I mean, I hope you know, you never know. I mean, you know, like they could come in and say, "Guys, uh, nice start, needs a lot of work." You know, you get that a lot, right? Well, my memory is that Schneider, Peter Schneider, led Tom Schumacher into that meeting, and he had a copy of the treatment, and he threw it in the middle of the table, and he said. This is the best effing thing I've read in a long time. That was Peter? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Wow.
1: That. That's amazing. I hadn't heard the story. Because you, you were know, there, I...
2: dude. You were there. <laughs> oh my God. I... I know. But he said, <laughs> wow. he said, then he began to say, I was on a plane. I read it on a plane and I couldn't stop. And blah, blah, blah. And the enthusiasm, it just like was like a the room just relaxed. And we all looked at each other and we like. In that moment, I think we all thought, we got a movie here. We're going to make a movie. Because that the support that they showed in that meeting to us was amazing.
0: There is no way this type of film would ever be able to be made at Disney. And the fact that you had all of these green lights to go ahead and really test the waters on something that was totally different... I can only imagine the the response by the animators and the rest of your crew and the divisions. What did they think when they heard that this was a polar opposite of a like a usual Disney film?
1: I think for the most part, uh, 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 we got a lot of uh, support uh, from our crew. I think they were very excited at the chance to do something that that was uh, in a different genre and was going to be uh, told in a different visual style. And um, uh, so I think, by and large, the the response was positive. I know there were when we put together our initial pitch boards. There are some folks at the studio who I don't think were working on the movie who who were a little skeptical of it, who didn't really think there was anything there. Um, uh, but by and large, our I, 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 at least I recall the the our, our crew, the ones that we carried over from Hunchback, were very excited about about uh, working on the movie.
3: What he said? Yes. <laughs> 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 it was it, it kind of got the imagination of the crew like it did you know the higher ups it was like wow this is something different and when we brought in mike mignola for uh, um for you know a design and, and um and a look of film um people
2: got really seriously excited I would just add that, you know, uh, I was not sort of like day to day in the office around the crew as obviously Kirk and Gary were. I was more like uh, the character of Moliere. I would come and we'd talk about things and I'd go back into my little cave, my little hole, <laughs> dig down and uh, and 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 then emerge when I had something new to show the guys. So, uh, you know, later in the process, a little bit later, I was invited very generously by Kirk and Gary, to participate in story meetings with animators and things like that. During, I was kind of involved in the script writing process at that point, but they would have me come in, which was very useful because so many ideas come up in the room from so many creative people involved. And and for me to be able to be in the situation of somebody pitching ideas or a storyboard or whatever... Uh, that I could then take and, and, and put into the script writing process was just invaluable. It was great. And it's just uh, also just one of the most creatively fertile experiences I've ever had, you know, in, in my life in terms of those movies that I made with these guys. So it was a lot of fun.
0: And speaking of script, how long did it take to get, like, a final script in place and then begin right into production? <laughs> I'm laughing at the word final. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about that. So how does that work? Because do you, do you need a final script to start animating? Like, how does that work?
1: Well, from my perspective, I'll, I'll let Tad jump in, but, but from my perspective, uh, working in animation um, um, is an extremely uh, uh, collaborative and very fluid uh, process. And, and um, there, there, there comes a point fairly early on in the process uh, where, where uh, the animation process is initially driven by uh, the treatment and, and, and the first uh, a few drafts of the screenplay. And then as the boards start to get developed, it's the storyboards that then kind of take over and, and kind of drive the process. And and uh, uh, the writer uh, uh, responds to 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 what he sees in the boards and makes adjustments in the script and, and vice versa. So then it becomes this very sort of hand in glove process, uh, uh, pretty much all the way uh, uh, to the end.
2: Yes. I mean, and that's why I was laughing, because it, there's never in my experience anyway, in the movies that I worked on uh, the two with these guys, uh, in, in especially there's never a, quote, final draft of the script until after the movie's actually been animated and then they go back through and they just they mock up a script to reflect the movie more or less Uh, it's it's an 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 official document basically yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but listen yeah yeah but here's the thing i want to say about atlantis i had so much fun writing it because we sat in the room even before the guys, you know, uh, uh, we had, as, as Kirk mentioned, there were already people aboard doing work on it uh, just with the treatment that we sort of had given to the studio. Uh, but I, those guys gave me so much freedom. I mean, I knew there was too much material <laughs> that we'd already been talking about. Like the most animated features run about 90 to 100 minutes, and I'm like, I think I remember saying before I started, I said, guys, there's just like, there's so much material here. And they were, they were like, write it. <laughs> just write it. <laughs> Throw it all in there. <laughs> it's like, give us a kitchen, kitchen sink version of this, of what everything we've been talking about. So I took them at their word. And I think my first draft was like 151 pages long. It was, oh, yeah, remember that. It was huge. It was huge. Uh, so. To be able, as a writer, not to have any constraints, to to, to be able to have heard all these great ideas and, and to be able to work with them all and find a way to weave them into a story uh, without worrying about a page count was just like a kid in a candy store for me. I mean, I just had so much fun writing that draft.
0: When you're creating the characters in, in particular, because sometimes that's... Well, I think that's like the main thing that kind of drives the story is getting to know the characters and then also... Traveling with him to Atlantis. So Tab and Gary, how did you guys craft those characters? Because I know Gary, you had said yeah. that you had created some profiles based on what Tab had written.
3: What? What? I mean, I, I remember we came up with we came up with characters. We wanted we wanted a broad swath. The, the The overarching idea was um, that this that this billionaire philanthropist. Um, who's a little on the nutty side um, puts together like the best possible team he can possibly get. And they would be a cross section of everybody. I mean, it would be, it would be a real kind of dirty dozen kind of, uh, kind of crew. And I believe we even referenced dirty dozen. We, we looked at, um, we, we watched a a fair amount of um, kind of ensemble movies and, and, uh, and, and, you know, said okay. So we what what jobs would need to be done? You know, we need a mineralogist or a geologist. You know, we needed a map ma- Well, obviously, the I was going to be the cartographer and the map maker, or translator, blah blah. Um, but all the other stuff. You know, the, the, we need a mechanic, and we're going to uh, let's see the ship surgeon, and you know, all all these things. We just like listed down the um, the jobs, and then started to the fill them with like what would be most fun. Well, the, the mineralogist if he like literally lived underground, you know, and, and I think tab came up with, with the name mole, And, uh, he, and it, it kind of went from that. I think, I think Dr. Sweet was Anne Marie's idea. Wasn't it? Wasn't he? Uh, gosh, that, that,
1: that, that's a good question. And, and, and you may be right. It's I, I if, if my recollection is correct and tab, please feel free to jump in. Uh, I remember I, I think you did sort of the first pass on on what the ensemble was going to be. yeah, and I think that there were a lot there were a lot of characters that 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 grew out of the visual development department that you incorporated into your uh, 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 subsequent drafts.
2: right. Uh, I think you know, like, uh... Uh, In looking, in reading uh, some of these early treatments, even before there was visual development, uh, like just not even treatments, but just ideas, there were two characters that, you know, that, that, that survived Um, Vinny, who was called somebody else. I always envision this demolitions guy busting out of a being busted out of a Turkish prison or whatever, and Cookie. And I always love Cookie because the idea of Cookie, because of the time period this was set. Gave us the opportunity to use uh, uh, characters that, ha- you know, w- w- may have originated back, you know, like that lived in two centuries almost. So that's what Cookie was about. He was an old guy, and I always uh, envisioned him as a cook on General Custer's, you know, Bighorn Expedition march who just happened to get away, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah,
3: I think I, th- I think I think the line we used was a was the, um, the Cookie made some kind of
2: dish that made Chester sick and he was fired before. The- <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe, maybe. But I think, you know, my recollection too, is like, I think, Don, I think Mrs. Packard was kind of a Don Hahn thing maybe, or, uh, maybe that, it, it she that he kind of pitched this old, you know, the idea of this, you know, like old fashioned, you know, uh, operator in the, in the ship's communication department. I mean, it, it was just, it was, and, 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 the, the real takeaway here is just how collaborative this whole process is. I mean, I I look at that poster and I see screenplay by Tab Murphy. Well, I guess they had to assign it to somebody. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you were asking about characterizations. When I wrote the first draft, it's a, imagine of the, the movie with having skeletons, just bones walking around that were the characters, because that's the metaphor. Everybody else brings and contributes to those characters and brings flesh and blood to them and attitudes and emotions and all those things and i you know i sketch out a skeleton of those ideas in in a draft uh in early variations but it's that team uh, you know and kirk and gary looking over everything and sort of steering the the ship that that brings that all of that to life you know
1: so yeah i think it uh i'll tell sort of an amusing story Um, In one of Tab's uh, very early drafts, it might have even been the first one, uh, Milo Thatch was, in fact, a descendant of Blackbeard the Pirate. (laughs)
3: Yes, (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: So you come to this part where you guys have been animating and creating a story and now it's time to really sell the the souls of the characters and who they are and to make it sound as if this really is a community of characters going and finding Atlantis. So, in that retrospect, how do you guys break down who you can bring in and see who would be interested in voicing characters that actually match the the character and the emotions themselves? Well, we went through the casting process.
1: We went through the casting process like we've done on on uh, on every other movie. We worked with a with a casting director, um, uh, yeah, yeah, Ruth Lambert, and uh, uh, she uh, uh, sort of sort of calls from 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 lists of people that 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 agencies would send her. Uh, uh, she would she would bring in uh, 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 actors to audition for the roles that she felt you know sort of most closely resembled. Uh, uh, the impression of the characters that we, that we gave her. And it was a long process. I remember the the audition process for Atlantis was a long one. We, we were, we were, it's always,
3: it's, it's always a long one. It's always, it's always a really hard thing. Um, because you, you've got these, you've got these drawings in front of you and you want to figure out, okay, who, how are we going to, you know, who's going to be the voice? Some of them we kind of, kind of do. I mean, f- The the first, the first Mr. Whitmore was uh, was Lloyd Bridges, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, that's right. We we Lloyd Bridges. We
3: even recorded him. We recorded him, and and he passed like within a couple months of that. And so we, you know, that's we had to kind of back up. Um, But but like other characters, like I I don't remember who if if it was Ruth or if it was Don or or who it was that suggested Don Vella for. or um, uh, Vinny,
2: and yeah, you know that, when he that, came in. Yeah,
3: when he came in and read that, it was like, bam, that's it." You know, yeah. there were we, some, we, some that we really had to search for, and some that was like, "What the? Heck? Why? Why didn't we think of this before?" You know, right? So exactly. Obvious. There,
1: there were some actors, uh, uh, like Gary said, there were some actors who who who, who came in uh, who uh, just nailed it. You know, from their from their first reading. And, and then their presence and, 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 and the, the personality and the quality that, that, that they brought to, to the voice influenced how the character was written and how the character was, was storyboarded. Um, I know that was the case with Claudia Christian. I remember when, when yep. she first came in to, to read for Helga, she nailed it. It's like, it's like literally with the first line that came out of her mouth. I was like, "Oh yeah. Jesus, it's her! It's she's perfect." Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys, you guys picked yeah, like she, an all-star cast here too, because you know we go we go from Michael J. Fox to Claudia Christian to Phil Morris to Corey Burton, who's who usually is the go-to guy for a lot of animated films and projects. And when you pitch this this film to them, because I think a lot of people assume that it's going to be a Disney film, you're going to have to sing. What were their thoughts when they kind of heard that this is this is something the polar polar opposite?
3: I think I mean I think people were, were kind of jazzed about it. It's like hey we're doing something different. You know this this sounds really cool. It, there, I don't think any of the actors um, felt that oh we're, we're betraying the Disney uh, you know the Disney legacy by by straying from fairy tales. You mm-hmm. know, I think everybody and and I think to, to Kirk's. Um, recollection of the of the Disneyland metaphor. I think we use that a lot too. That to, to we yes. go into Land instead of Fantasyland, and I and it worked like a charm. I mean, not that it had to work, but because these guys were, you know, the, a they're all professionals, and b they I think they really liked it. You know, like Corey, we've worked with you know, we'd worked with for for the, the previous two movies, and we loved Corey, and and he I think he was probably ready to do you know, whatever, whatever we said. It's like, Corey, we got a part for you. And he was like, all right, I'm in. But uh, I, I think, I think everybody was, was like pretty jazzed about it.
1: Um, I remember that, that our casting director brought in Bronson Pinchot from, uh, <laughs> to read for, for read for Mole. And she was very, you know, she she was very psyched about, about that particular actor. And he was, <laughs> funny you know he's a funny and talented actor but it just wasn't hitting us it just wasn't what wasn't uh 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 you know what we had envisioned even if we didn't know exactly what we had envisioned at the time yeah yeah Um,
2: i just i have a question not really a question but there's a but there's a part of this that's that, that would fall under the heading of process uh and how sometimes you cling to certain things that you, 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 you get married too early on in the production, and then you have to have a painful divorce. And that is that for the longest time, there was a Viking prologue uh, attached oh, yeah. to the movie. Uh, I would love, I mean, no, because I've heard this secondhand, but I'd love to hear Kirk and Gary talk about that day. And I think it was, was it John Sanford that came yeah. in yeah. and had a tough talk with you guys? I'd love to hear that story.
3: Well, there was
2: the was, um, sense, the,
3: you know, as as things were moving along, and we were heavy into production at this point. Um, the the Viking Prologue was fully animated and painted. I mean, it's like in full color, done production. Um, and a lot of the other film was like well underway as well. And there was a sense that we're just not connecting with the, with the characters in Atlanta. So we're just not we're not caring about them as much as we could. We go down there, and it's like. Oh, look at these guys! And there, there was no real, um, you know, no no real any any kind of connection with them. And it, it was after a screening like this that John kind of timidly said, um, "I think I think we're telling the wrong story at, at the beginning. You know, that we're we're um, we we need we need to tell the story of of the characters in the, in, in Atlantis." Um, and so that's. Yeah, that's that's kind of how that concept came up. It's like we had to yeah. ditch the ditch the uh, the the Vikings, whom we loved, and both of the Icelandic actors that were working in L.A. at the time who did all the Viking voices. Um, you know, it was like God. It was such a cool. It was such a cool opening. It was it was you know it was such fun to do. But John was right, and we had to we had to reconceive the beginning, yeah. and it was better because of it
1: yeah it 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 boiled down to to uh we need we need a reason to care about about the atlanteans and uh john was the one who recognized after the screening that Kida was our way in and and he said uh in you know in in very plain terms he he pitched us the idea of you know what if we see Kida and she's four years old and she witnesses the destruction of atlantis and the 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 ascension into the crystal of her own mother and and you know we listened to it and it was kind of goosebumpy and 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 we could all picture it and uh uh gary i if i'm remembering correctly you went home that night and came back the following morning with the entire sequence thumbnailed you know on 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 lined notebook paper
3: actually it was on a bar napkin I, 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 uh, I it. That
2: <laughs> that's what I heard it was a bar napkin yeah, yeah. that is awesome dude yeah that's what I've always heard that you kind of went away and were so inspired that you just mapped out I don't know how many of the first uh, shots of the film on on napkins and I was like that is that's that's, that's like that's amazing that's great yeah, yeah. I, 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 found, I, that's, I found some of those I found some of those recently I was um, I was going through some boxes and,
3: you know, rearranging stuff. And I was like, son of a gun, look at that. They, you know, there was these napkins with these little ball pen spatchings on them. It's like, yep, I remember. It. There's the, there's the uh,
2: atomic blast and the the flying Leviathan and the hammerheads and all that. It's like, yep. I, remember this. Uh, I have, I, I don't mean to take, you know, your, your job, Tammy, but I have a question that I get a lot of over the years. And, and I'm curious too, because, I think in some of my early drafts there was this thing, which is: Did you guys, in terms of the relationship between Milo and Kida, make a conscious decision not to have them kiss at the end, or, or, and I, and if so, I mean, I I think I know the answer, but I'd love to hear your take on that. Oh, I or, love
0: this question. Go ahead. Yes.
2: <laughs> from my perspective,
1: I, I I and Gary, you can jump in. I uh, I remember having the question about whether they should kiss or not. Whether Milo and Kida should kiss her or not at the end of the movie, and I, I think our reason for them not kissing was twofold. First, um, we, you know, the whole movie was 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 kind of predicated on the premise of we're going to do something different that you haven't seen in Disney animation before up to this point, um, and and we're going to subvert expectations for 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 you know what what a Disney animated feature could be. And so, so that was one reason not to do it. Um, and the second reason was the story, uh, the story was about how Milo discovers this, this incredible lost civilization and rather than, than go back to the surface and, and, and tell the world, uh, uh, it's about his choice to, to fight, to, to preserve it and, and save it. It wasn't the story about how it wasn't the story of Milo, the 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 the, the nerdy map maker, gets a hot girlfriend. <laughs> and so I think I think we imply I think I think we imply at the end of the movie that yes, these two characters get together. I think I think when you see when you see uh, the very very last shot, when Milo's wearing Atlantean garb and he's got a tattoo. You know, he really, it, he's kind of officially the, the, the queen's consort. So yeah, so I think we can hands assume hands. that they got together.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, they do hold hands, I think, don't yeah. they? They hold do hands.
3: hold
1: hands. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's, they like, like, like as,
3: as they're watching the city, the city reveal, I think they hold hands.
2: Right. Which I thought was brilliant. I thought it was great. I, I'm glad they didn't kiss.
0: It's a subtle moment. And again, not a Disney cliche of there's... A happy wedding at the end, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's a memorial service.
1: I mean, yes, yes, exactly. I, uh, uh, that's a very good point. It is a memorial service, it, it, as opposed to you know the two characters waltzing and, and you know and and we pull back through the castle windows.
3: It was more important to show that Atlantis had been restored and preserved than it was to you know to, to see a couple characters fall in love.
0: And it's something more gradual and modern, I guess, too, because, again, we hit the new millennium (laughs) the year before the film came out. And, you know, things are different and women are different. So having a woman of color become queen or king of her country um, is something, you know, you usually don't see. And, you know, with an array of characters that are of different ethnicities and backgrounds, you know, that's something you usually don't see in a Disney film as well, too. So, you know.
1: Yeah, that, that is something. That aspect of the film we we should talk a little bit about. That was something that that, that I think all three of us fought for. Uh, that we wanted the crew to be to be diverse uh, in terms of 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 sex, race, age. Um, um, we really wanted to, wanted it to be a mixed bag. And we really pushed for for, for Akita to be to be dark-skinned instead of light-skinned. We wanted all the Atlanteans to be dark-skinned because again, uh, uh, we wanted to to subvert expectations and do something different and 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 not do the the, the typical representation of what of what uh, Atlanteans might look like. And we just said, okay, what if we just go the other way? Um and we, we we pushed for that. We had to fight for that. I I, I remember uh, Kida's design in particular was a bit controversial in in, in some of the earth some of the some of the meetings where we were finalizing the character designs and pitching them to uh, Tom and Peter. Um, Kida wore very revealing clothing and and uh, uh, you know was 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 uh, athletic and strong and and pretty sexy for a Disney heroine. Certain executives were a little uncomfortable with that.
2: yeah, but she you know the thing I love about Keita Kirk, and I just to piggyback onto this idea is that she is unaware of her sexiness. True. You know what I mean? she and, and she didn't flaunt it. she she's just there's a, there's an innocence about her still when you, in with regard to how she looks and how she carries herself, that you know, like you know the fourteen year old boys, and all of us kind of salivate over. But that's not what she was about, unlike Helga, who used her sexuality in, in many ways uh, or was more in command of it and and, right. and the power of it. Uh, and this just leads me to another quick point that uh, another reason why I loved writing Atlantis is because I got to write uh, four very strong female characters in their all in their own way. So you've got Helga, uh, you've got Keita, you've got Audrey, right? Uh, and then you've you. got Mrs. Packard who in her own <laughs> weird way was a very strong character. I mean, so I, I, you know, it was a, it was a lot of fun and it, it just in so many ways for me broke the mold of a lot of things that people had come to expect from a Disney animated movie. Now maybe that is attributed. It can be attributed to why maybe it didn't do as well as we all hoped it would do when it came out. But um uh, it was, uh, you know, from my perspective and my standpoint of my contributions, uh, my small contributions to it. Those were the fun aspects of, of writing it, for sure. I think
1: if if, if if nothing else, I think I think it certainly contributed to the movie's longevity. You know, I think we were sort of oh, sort of, absolutely
2: to absolutely.
1: to to you know pat ourselves on the back. I think we were definitely kind of ahead of the curve on on a lot of the choices that we made in terms of of. Um, Characters and, and, and characterization for, for an animated movie.
0: So when the film finally premiered, um, there was a big blue carpet um, ceremony with the El Capitan theater. And I saw some pictures and it looked like you guys were all having a full blast because the full cast is there. And yeah. they finally get to really meet one another for the first time and, and see the film. What was that day like?
1: That was really fun. I, I, I It was the first time. It's like uh, my my memory is that is that that was the first time that we did like a daytime rap party, and I think that was that choice was made so that everybody in the cast and everybody in the crew could bring their kids, right. and and that that was different. You know, typically we had evening rap parties, and you could go and 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 uh, you yeah. know drink. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that.
2: Uh, 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 I I don't. I don't believe I went to the premiere. Uh, I don't have a memory of that. So uh, uh, I think for oh, whatever cross. reason, I was, <laughs> I, no, thank you. But yeah, maybe that's why I don't have a memory. Of it. No, no, I think for whatever reason, I did not go. And I can't recall why. I, I might have been traveling out of town or whatever in those days. But uh, I was surely sorry to have missed it. That's for sure.
3: My, my memories of it um, are
2: mostly the blue carpet.
3: You know, that like watching the movie it yeah, it's it's, it's fun and you know, you, you you get all you get all worked up because, you know, you're seeing everybody's work and everybody's seeing their own work and, and reacting, you know, to each other and and all that. But it was it was being out front, everybody all dressed up all fancy, for like the group photo and you know, there's there's Michael J. Fox and there's there's Phil Morris and there's um, there's Claudia of Christian, and, you know, all these people, Leonard Nimoy for crying out loud. And, and we're, you know, we're all out there and having a great big group photo. And to me, that was, that was the really fun part. Cause I don't think we've ever done anything like that before. We'd never done that with like any of the other, uh, we didn't do that with hunchback that we didn't yeah, with beauty. That's true. And, and this was, and this, and this was the first time it was like, you know, the the crew photo with you know, that was a cast. And it was, it, it for me I that was
2: really something that's really cool i know now as you talk about it, gary and kirk i know where i was i was in canada uh and even though i didn't get to go to the premiere i got to do something that was really cool i i took uh we were uh, uh visiting uh up in canada and i took my six-year-old son seven-year-old son at the time and a gaggle of his friends and drove into calgary to a theater on opening weekend. Oh, wow. I watched that movie with these boys in a row. Oh, cool. They all had popcorn. I had my popcorn. (laughs) And I got to experience that film as I would have experienced any number of films we all talked about and loved that were the genesis of this film. Nice. With them in that theater and the and they came out and the buzz. You remember how you used to merge from a movie and the buzz was just palpable oh, yeah. about the excitement of what you'd just seen and this and that. And that was the most yeah. satisfying thing, I think, uh, almost of the whole production for me was after this long journey to sit in a dark theater and watch it with uh, my son and his friends uh, and have them just eat it up was just amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it was just so cool. And over the years, I don't know, I don't know how you guys felt, but, you know, there was a, I was disappointed that the movie didn't find a bigger audience, I think. And I think it, uh, you know, I kind of wrote a narrative that I kind of, uh, I don't know, that I'd been, I'd been responsible for a movie that in many eyes, including, I'm sure, executive studio, failed to perform. And, uh, and it was disappointing. And. And then off of that, over the years, I just didn't run into anybody that wanted to that talked about it that much. So I just thought, oh man, you know, like it's just a movie that I feel so much affection for that just didn't hit the sweet spot in terms of box office and the kind of momentum that everybody in those days was like anticipating for every movie that got released at Disney. And so I don't want to say that I carried around the stigma that I, you know, that it was a failure. So it certainly wasn't from a creative standpoint, but uh, it's it, why it was so weird over this past weekend when, you know, I just made a little post on this Atlantis fan page on Facebook and these, and suddenly these people just came out of the woodwork t- with stories about how that movie was so important to them in their childhood and this, and I related to Audrey and all this. And I mean, they just the outpouring was just amazing. So, 20 years later, <laughs> I finally go, all right, it did find its audience. I like, like to think
0: of it as the lost, uh, you know, lost audience during that time period because <laughs> we, we truly audience. were because, <laughs> yeah, our films that we grew up were with Tarzan right and yeah. Emperor's New Groove and Atlantis and Treasure Planet, and so we grew up with these films and and they never get the recognition and we're all in our 20s and some of us are in our 30s now and You know we have vivid memories of seeing these films in the movie theaters i clearly remember as a six-year-old the the opening title of the film watching it in the movie theater and i just remember that moment and it stayed with me and i remember the mcdonald's toys and you could get your own atlantis necklace with the mcdonald's toys and i still have mine um i think i brought and i showed that to you gary (laughs) when i met gary i brought all my 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 atlanta stuff and i was like i can't help it i just have to show this to you so (laughs) (laughs) like it means a lot to us emotionally so um i'm so glad to have that you're in the group because there's so many of us that have you know vivid memories of the film and you know in a way it's an outcast film with Milo feeling he's an outcast and I can only assume the crew, they feel more comfortable being with one another than they do with their regular jobs. So (laughs) I just feel. I made two
2: outcast films with these guys. I mean, I, if there's a through line or a theme, you know, in in terms of the work, at least that we all did together, that's Mm -hmm. uh, that would certainly be, I mean, you know, like Quasimodo, of course, being the Mm -hmm. ultimate outcast.
0: Yes. Uh, Yes.
2: So there was certainly, uh, there was certainly that, part of of milo who felt uh you know but I, what i loved about milo is that he had a passion he had an enthusiasm and he had a passion and there was this this idea that you know that and you can see it in the sequences these guys directed with him you know early on and uh it, that he nothing was going to keep him from achieving somehow achieving this goal he had uh, uh, of, of finding atlantis and uh Anyway, I, yeah, there's so many things. We could talk for another hour, I think.
0: <laughs> Can I just mention one thing? The When you mention that Milo has a lot of passion, there's that one scene where he's talking um, with the one gentleman from the Smithsonian, and it's Dave and Styers as the role. And <laughs> David just delivers these lines that are, so perfect and he has this one line and you could hear that he does care about milo he says you have a lot of potential Milo. don't throw it all away and it just makes me think of him and a lot of the other cast members who who we don't have today he, florence um, stanley passed away yeah. leonard nimoy um james gardner and um more Warner, recently john and the, mahoney jim, so and john
3: mahoney and jim varney
0: yes and jim varney oh, yeah, he, he didn't hey, even get to I, see I, the I, finished I, film right he only yeah. got to see parts of it
3: yeah yeah, we, had,
2: just, uh, we we
1: actually had to have a sound-alike for his, his final line. Yeah, his his last line, it's the bacon grease from the whole trip. That's the sound-alike.
2: <laughs> oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah.
0: You're kidding. Yeah.
2: Well, I've got a very quick, funny Jim Garner story because uh, years and years and years ago in the early 80s, uh, I was working at 7-Eleven here in Hollywood, and James <laughs> Garner used to come in all the time. Oh, what? Oh, the time i worked 11 to p.m to 8 shift in the morning he would come in at like midnight or one in the morning and he always had a group of young people with him guys and girls i don't know if they were his children or what but uh you know like and he was just a larger than life dude and he would come into the store and he'd just stand at the counter they'd all get fast you know like junk food and stuff and he'd buy it all and I just, you know, it, so for me to actually end up having written a character that he voiced years and years later—that's just a like a, it's just like a circle of life moment, boys. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, it was, it was one of my my biggest thrills was that I got
1: to 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 uh, to work on a movie uh, that starred both Mister Spock and Jim Rockford.
2: Oh yes,
3: yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. We were at a um, recording session. And and Jim Garner asked, so so when does when this when does this picture come out? And we were still like a year away. You know, we, we were doing like pickup lines, but we still had a lot to go. And We said, at a year, and he was he, he was a lot older than he seemed. You know, at that time he goes, a year. I don't buy green bananas, boys.
2: <laughs> about Dad. That's awesome. That's uh, so funny. You know, another question quickly that uh, I get asked a lot, and this is just a specific detail moment, and I don't really answer it, uh, but is uh, what did Mole whisper to Akita that caused her to slap him or punch him? Oh, I know exactly what he wh- whispered. We had
1: him whisper, Voulez vous coucher avec moi? <laughs> but really, really soft. <laughs>
0: Well, if they re-, yeah. re reevaluated Atlantis, they would have to give it a PG thirteen rating for one reason. And do you know what that reason probably is?
1: <laughs>
0: Packard smoking.
1: Oh, there you go. Yes, I believe I'll be I think we hold the distinction of of, uh, of creating the last smoking Disney character. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah. We have to fight for that one. I, I, I recall. I mean the day was it was some pushback on her smoking even, you know, back in two thousand and one.
1: I think that the thing that 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 we sort of uh <laughs> I think I think we fought that a little bit by saying, you know, guys, we're not exactly glamorizing it. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Yeah, not with her. <laughs>
0: right. There's this there's this wonderful fan community behind it and I wanted to hear what you guys wanted to say to them directly in preparation for this 20th anniversary, whatever may happen.
1: I think for me, uh uh first I would just say Thank you so much for for uh, for enjoying the movie, for for loving it and for, for supporting it as, as 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 long as you have. I mean, it, the, the, to have people to have people come up to us 20 years later and say, you know, I, I wore out my VHS copy of this when I was a kid um, that that that, you know, that that means the world to me. It's the whole reason why why we make these things. And and uh, so I just want to say thanks.
3: I would echo that. I mean, when I asked that question, the very first thing that popped into my head was thank you. The very first thing I would say is, is thank you for being the
2: smart ones
3: and for, <laughs> and for
2: recognizing a <laughs> yes. really
3: cool movie when everybody else was stupid.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I would double echo that, and I would also just say, based on my recent experiences on the uh, on the fan site on Facebook. That a lot of people are posting stuff that really moved me. Frankly, uh, I gotta go to the site. Yeah, you gotta check it out, dude. Uh, it's but it we're gonna make you like, the king
0: of Atlantis on Facebook. That will be your name, <laughs> 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 and we'll put you in there. <laughs>
2: people posting things like, "I'm an archaeologist today because of that movie." I, I went to I, I got a degree in oh, linguistics. Yeah, yeah, you, you posted that, that. You posted that video, and that was that was remarkable. Yeah, I mean. And, you know, from my perspective and I perspective, excuse me, and I can imagine from your guys as well, that when you get that kind of feedback, uh, even 20 years later, you just go, wow, something I did mattered to people. That is the best kind of uh, just, uh, I don't know, kind of validation, I guess, in some ways. For the you know the work uh, you know you do at a lonely computer at least for me in a lonely like desk at a computer where you're just trying to hammer out ideas to make your directors happy that someday maybe it will uh, you know ring have some value to uh, to an audience and uh, so that's I would echo doubly and just say thank you so much for all the fans and and uh, I wish to God we could go out and make a sequel tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was disappointed with the critics' reaction too. I mean, I you know I was like going, "Wow, they just didn't uh, see what we were trying to do, possibly, or, or they were writing uh, this new wave, as you say, of of CGI animation, and and they uh, th- they didn't get to laugh as much in Atlantis as they did in Toy Story, or they didn't get the you know a traditional animated feature uh, that they were used to, uh, um, and uh, yeah, so. Anyway, it 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 uh, it created a lot a lot of self doubt in my mind for a number of years about that. One critic, one critic who really got it,
1: believe it or not, was Roger Ebert. He loved our movie. Oh, you know what? He absolutely loved it, and he totally got that it that uh, that that it was a comic book aesthetic, and, yeah. and he he praised us for being so true to that and so consistent with it throughout the entire movie. Oh and, I want to
0: read that now. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: a terrific review. Just look up Roger Ebert's original re- review of of Atlantis, the lost empire. and And he was one of the few critics out there who completely got what we were going for. And I think it's because he had a tremendous affection for uh, the types of movies that 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 uh, Atlantis was inspired by.
0: Well, I can't thank you guys enough for doing this to be, you know, to do a last minute reunion in preparation for the 20th. And I really hope something does come to fruition where we can bring the three of you and Don and maybe the rest of the cast together in person. Um, Because I think a lot of people would love to see all of you together and even hear more stories. I know we didn't touch everything, so I apologize to the fans. But I'm so glad we got to talk today. So thank you, all three of you, for for doing this.
1: It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. This, this was really a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: And Gary's like, let's go out for drinks now. Let's go. Here we go.
1: <laughs> right. Big footies, buddy. Big foot
3: We're all going to die.